Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number 1338, <laughs> entitled Triple R for Ever. <laughs> I am Rob Jan and Megan McHugh, and Triple R for Ever. EVA, that is, mm-hmm. April amnesty time. Yeah. Uh, uh, as the Ninja Turtles would say, why does April O'Neill need an amnesty? Well, <laughs> as we say on Zero G, extravehicular activity, <laughs> EVA, or spacewalk. It also stands for AVA mm-hmm. or Evangelion unit, which is a, a giant mecha robot with a penchant for philosophy and alien Kaju battles. <laughs> you can take your pick of prizes too. Subscribing during Triple R's April Amnesty means you automatically go into the draw for a big range of rewards from our generous sponsors. So the festival pass to the 2021 Melbourne Writers Festival in September, gift vouchers for this year's Melbourne International Film Festival, an event which Zero G has been covering for nearly the past three decades. Oh. And there are book packs from local purveyors of fine literature, that is to say, scribe publishers, amongst other tempting treats too numerous to mention here, which is why you can find them listed in the April edition of Triple R's own in-house station magazine, The Trip. Subscribe to Triple R. Keep us going. You should go to rrr.org.au backslash subscribe. Or if you're just going to donate and... That would be much appreciated in these terrible times. rrr.org.au backslash donate. But you can find all of that at rrr.org.au. April Amnesty. Triple R forever. Now, moving along to a track here, which will kind of cap off our little spruiking there. And I had to laugh at the, the title of this track. <laughs> he says, having to laugh. Michael Dawn suffers a spatial anomaly. Oh. <laughs> and it's by the Love Me Noughts, and it's from their album, Extra Vehicular Activity. <laughs> Triple R. There we have the Love Me Noughts <laughs> <laughs> from their eponymous EP. <laughs> Can you be both like eponymous and an EP? I guess. Yeah. And that would be a song called Michael Dawn, which is to say Mr. Worf from Star Trek suffers a spatial anomaly. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Enough said, as Stanley would say. Now, moving on to matters spatial, at least in part. Sad to note that Bob Fletcher has died recently. Now, he was born Robert Fletcher Wickoff, and his full name is Robert Fletcher, 
which is to say that he was 90 years old and he was born on August the 23rd in 1922 in Cedar Rapids in Iowa and passed away on April the 5th in Kansas City. So, a US American costumer, set designer and actor. Bob Fletcher to pretty much everybody who knew him. Served in the Army Air Corps as a cadet World War II, but but a medical discharge before he could be posted overseas. Uh, Experience which added to his ability to design convincing military costumes later in his career, I am sure. He started out as an actor and had a six-decade career in the biz, in 1960, he ended up designing costumes for a production of The Tempest in Stratford, Connecticut, which hmm. starred Catherine Hepburn. Cool. Yeah. Pretty scary gig, wouldn't it? Oh. Worked on so many different movies and television shows. Fright Night, if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. The Last Starfighter, which you will definitely yep. remember. <laughs> Most people get to say, have the T-shirt or have the DVD, but Megan and I have both worn the video game boxes on our heads. We have. <laughs> uh, he also worked on Space, the TV miniseries, The Ballad of Cable Ho, one of my favourite westerns. Also designed costumes and sets for the opera and ballet, Broadway musicals, theatre in general, and was indeed a designer for NBC television back in the 1950s. Did a lot of other things too, like most recently, I think, uh, a Bollywood movie, Mohenjo Daro in 2016. He was sort of getting these gigs through a former assistant, April Ferry, and did design work for HBO's Rome and Game of Thrones as well. He is most well-remembered by genre fans for his work as a costume designer for four Star Trek movies, from the motion picture in 1979 through to the voyage home in 1986. So he's the man who gave the Klingons their armoured look and those distinctive crested heads after a conversation with Gene Roddenberry about the Klingons being updated from their original sort of Mongol horde look back in the classic Trek days to this new sort of crested Imperial Klingon. And, well, he said basically, so you mean hairy lobsters? (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of riffed off some earlier designs he did for the character of Caliban, played by Jack Palance for a production of The Tempest. He also created the look for the iconic Vulcans with their begemmed and ruined breastplates and tabards. Mm-hmm. And he also transitioned William Ware Thice's original classic Star Trek uniforms onto the big screen for Star Trek The Motion Picture and then beyond in subsequent Star Trek movies. So you can see echoes of all of his design ethos in subsequent Star Trek productions. Mm. So, yeah, from space pyjamas in Star Trek The Motion Picture to the more sort of classic military tunics, the naval sort of influenced ones that you see in Roth of Khan. He also created a fairly coherent rank insignia system for all of the Starfleet uniforms, which had never really been formalised up until then. So when you think about it, given how many fans have reproduced costumes from that Star Trek era, those four interconnected movies Mm. from the original Star Trek cast, 
I think that he may be one of the most mimicked costume designers ever. I'm sure. I mean, <laughs> what an influence. I think that's so interesting. We often, you know, we do appreciate the work of costume and kind of the effort and thought that goes into it, but it is always nice to be reminded about how in- interconnected these things can be and the symbolism and how it lives on throughout the rest of the story and the TV. Mm. Yeah, onto cons and fans and people loving to replicate the costumes. Yeah. I mean, I've done my own replications of some of his costumes from those various movies. Mm. I've had a crack at uh, some Superman ones from Roth of Khan for, you know, Khan's people and had to play with lots and lots of Klingon costumes. So Mm -hmm. he's been pretty influential in my life too, come to think of it. He got free Tony Award nominations four Saturn Award nominations plus one win. Those are science fiction uh, media awards. And he was awarded the Career Achievement Award from the Costume Designers Guild in the US and also received the Theatre Development Fund Irene Sharaf Lifetime Achievement Award for his set design work. Oh, wow. He's got a book out too, which is called A Trunk Full of Yak Hair. <laughs> How the Klingons Got Their Look. That's great. It is an autobiography Mm. in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. and it's got all these wonderful pictures in it Mm. of his designs. The ones I'm showing up, holding up to the microphone, are the Bollywood designs for that movie. A really entertaining writer. It's even got some pictures from the Rome uh, HBO series too. So, yeah, look out for that. It's actually one you'd have to get online, Mm. A Trunk Full of Yak Hair, How the Klingons Got Their Look by Robert Fletcher. The coder on the back says, dress well and prosper. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Now, Bob Fletcher was predeceased by his partner of 65 years, Jack Coughlin, Broadway singer and dancer and original member of the New York City Ballet. So that's a a long-term relationship. So, you know, amazing man, Robert Fletcher, very influential on genre fandom and costuming and and makers in general. I thought his work was splendid. You can discover bits and pieces about it in all of the various documentaries about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You can actually buy patterns for the costumes for Star Trek from those eras. I bet, yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the best tribute that a maker can get, that his work is going to echo on through eternity, through the Star Trek series, which we all know is never going to stop. Oh, no, it's it's with us <laughs> for the long haul. <laughs> you know, it will be performed in space someday. There'll be Star Trek and it'll be like a period piece. Exactly, exactly. It'll be like, oh, like your, your Shakespeare in the at the globe. Yeah. It'll be uh, Star Trek at the mess hall of the ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bob Fletcher, a great artist no longer with us, but always with us through his magnificent work. All right, so I thought I'd play a track here in tribute, the James Horner theme from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, one of the finer Star Trek movies. This is by the Cincinnati Pop Orchestra and Eric Kunzel from the Ultimate Movie Music Soundtrack Collection, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. This is China Mievel, author of The City and the City, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM, Melbourne. Ah. <laughs> 
The Wrath of Jan. No, actually, it's Star Trek Two. As much as I love Star Trek One, the first movie mm. from 1979, Star Trek the Motion Picture, which really brought the Star Trek franchise to the big screen. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with that movie. I also <laughs> equally love The Wrath of Khan, which is just such a great space opera mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with its operatic style uniforms and costumes designed by the late great Bob Fletcher. And that also serves as a bit of an homage to the late James Horner, the composer of that soundtrack. Now, I did a solo review of Godzilla versus Kong because I was here. (laughs) (laughs) Megan was busy fleeing from the Keiju, but she is here now, and I'd like to hear your thoughts about the film, Megan. Yeah, I'd love to share my thoughts. So, We had sort of talked a little bit about the film when it was, you know, found out it was coming out because we had both seen Kong Skull Island and Godzilla King of the Monsters. So Kong Skull Island came out 2017 and the Godzilla King of the Monsters came out 2019. So love a good kaiju film. So we trotted along to those and I remember enjoying them at the time, Rob, but I don't really remember a lot about them in all honesty. But I think we had good impressions of them. We were intrigued by what they were doing and interested to see if they could get a franchise going. Obviously, when Godzilla vs. Kong was announced and then we heard a little bit more about that, I was interested. So it's come out this year, directed by Adam Wingard. I went along and saw it at the drive-in, actually, which was sort of the perfect place because a little part of me wanted to have, you know, a giant Godzilla, like, rip the cinema screen into mid-film. I mean, that would have been horrifying, but very cinematic. (laughs) I went along to see that and that was kind of the perfect conditions because I knew it was going to be monster fights. There was probably going to be a lot of silly exposition just to get people up to speed because I don't think there's any assumption here that you will have definitely seen the prior two films. I think they're counting on just general zeitgeist knowledge of Godzilla and Kong to kind of get you in. It's not like when you had to go and see Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, (laughs) you really should see the first two before (laughs) you go to that. But I think in this case, you are fine to head along without any prior knowledge because some of the characters do lay down just enough exposition. And to be honest, we don't need that much. It's a monster film and it's done very well. That is largely from my perspective because it knows exactly what kind of movie it is, what it's doing, what it's not doing, and it's not trying to be something else. So I love that about the film and I think that's why I found it so enjoyable and not just enraging because we've seen those films before. (laughs) You know, the ones where they're trying to do too much. It's like, let's have an emotional story. Let's develop all these characters. It's an ensemble piece, but it's a hero's journey and there's monsters and it's just too much. So we had a nice little smattering of characters. Alexander Skarsgård, love him, obviously. Rebecca Hall, I really like her as well. And Millie Bobby Brown, which we've both discussed, Rob. We like her. We like the Enola Holmes movie. She's great in Stranger Things. It's nice to see her in anything she does. She's actually pretty good on screen. So smattering of characters, none of them with that much depth. (laughs) But that was kind of okay. I think we got just enough of everyone's motivations to be along for the ride. And that was fine from my perspective. And I mean, the main characters we care about, Kong and Godzilla, (laughs) 
They were very fleshed out. They were very big. You know, there was a bit of talk about why are they fighting? What's the backstory? But we're here for monster fights and the monster fights were cool. And even though I still have my doubts about, I mean, Godzilla can shoot a laser out of his mouth and he's kind of like a monster, like demon-y thing. And Kong, while is great, is really a large He's just a large, large primate. So I have some skepticism about how even that fight is, but I guess Kong has just got the, you know, the hoods part of getting there and get it done. So maybe that counts for something in terms of his, uh, worthiness in battle. <laughs> this is, I was going to say it's like one of those fan podcasts where they discuss hypothetical statistics and battles and stuff. Yeah, yeah, like who'd win in a fight out of like Legolas and Rob Stark or something, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Legolas versus Hawkeye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like the nine companions, they're not Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange versus Gandalf. And I would watch these movies, Rob. I'd I think we're, we're really pitching something here. I was just saying, it's like one of those podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that uh, Kong has more sentience on his side. Yeah, no, yeah. good point, yes. good point. Especially in this movie. Mm, mm. And he also has a lot of moves, you know, in terms of he's had a lot of street fighting experience, so to speak, in the jungles of Skull Island. You know, Godzilla sort of trots out for these big matches every now and then, but 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 Kong's like living it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. This is life for him, life on the jungle yeah. streets. But you, I think you're quite right, Rob, and I think there's something to be said around his interactions and, you know, I don't want to, like, tools, his ability to, you know, oh, to take advantage of, you know, things to fight with, I guess. He has a posse as well when you think about it. Yeah, true. He has friends. He does. He does. So, no, that's fair. I take that point on. I'm also sometimes confused about his size, how big is he? One minute he's as tall as two skyscrapers, the next minute he's the size of a small shipping container ship. So, you know, but I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds of this because that's at all not the point of this. There's a lot of monster screaming. It's fun. There's some jokes. There's a lot of decent laughs in there, largely due to some, you know, characters popping up that I wasn't expecting to see, (laughs) which, you know, is a lot of fun. So, I think there's no extra frills here. There's no kind of lame elements where they're trying to make things overly emotional or introduce the love story. I mean, these aren't spoilers, but, you know, they're not trying to add all these extra layers on top, I don't think. There is a relationship. There's a couple of relationships in there, but they're they're built into the plot and there's no problem with it. Yeah, agree, agree. It's sort of set up from the start and we know we're not going on an emotional character journey here. We're here to see some monsters. We're here to be outraged about certain things and, you know, corporate world and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that 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 is is something nice. There was no broken family story, Rob. You would have been pleased to see. (laughs) There is, though. Oh, I guess so. But it's not the core driver of the film. 
I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about Kong. Oh, fair. Ah. I'm all right when it's the monster's (laughs) backstory. (laughs) I'm okay with the sad um, monster story. My heart stopped beating when I was watching that. Oh, poor Kong. I will say I did have a lot of empathy. I think the motion capture and things for Kong, and I know Ah. there's motion capture for Godzilla too, I think. I recommend I recommend that everybody go online. Go now. Go to your window. Go to your computer. Open it up and look up TJ Storm. Okay. Now that's that's the actor and he's a bruiser of a bloke, you know. He's got shoulders mm-hmm. and he's perfect body form to do the motion capture for Godzilla. Yeah. And he does it so well and you'll find online various uh, videos of him doing that. Usually at conventions and stuff where he's and they also show him working with the uh, the three motion capture performers who do um, King Ghidorah, oh, the cool. three-headed winged hydra. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's really good. When he when when TJ Storm gets into that hunch forward Godzilla pose, yeah. you buy it. Man, you <laughs> buy it, you know. And that it's a skill. <laughs> it is a real skill. And I will say, I mean, I'm not saying these character the the monster characters are super fleshed out and there's a lot to, you know, but there was some there where I felt very empathetic towards Kong. And I think yeah. that I wanted the best for him. I didn't want him to be taken advantage <laughs> of. <laughs> so that's something something to be said. I mean, there's ridiculous parts of the story, of course, where you have to suspend disbelief and you kind of just go, what just happened? What are they expecting us to believe? Why does, you know, why is all this science kind of tied up in just one corporation? This makes no sense. But, again, it was all things that I was happy to suspend disbelief and just go along for the ride. So. I think going into this, I mean, you look at the po- it's Godzilla vs. Kong. You know what you're going in for, and it delivers that. Like I said, it's not a mutton dressed up as lamb or whatever. It's like, I'm mutton and I'm proud. Mutton versus lamb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I enjoyed it. I really did. I think, obviously, if you don't like monster films or you think what are you large doing? monster, <laughs> yeah, what are you doing with your life, A? But B, if you know you're not going to enjoy watching Kong and Godzilla fight, then don't see a film called Kong Godzilla vs. Kong. It's just common sense. So I think if you look at this film and it's something you think you'd enjoy, you probably will. There were three things that stood out, and, and I've had a whole hour to talk about this. So <laughs> I won't linger. Three things that I, I really enjoyed, the deployment, the fully Let's say digging down deep into an old, hoary old science fiction trope mm. uh, deployed in a previous movie but not really explored. Boy, they get into that this time. And I enjoyed it as wacky as it is. Yes. Uh, I also love a particular fight at sea. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that raised the bar for everything. You know, I mean, the, the presence of Ricky Baker. Yes. <laughs> this is the surprise character. The po- I mean, obviously he's not there as Ricky Baker, but I was so stoked because I did not know that actor was going to be in this film and I was like, yes, pleased about this development. <laughs> uh, all right. So what was your yeah, nah, maybe? I think it's a, it's a yeah. I think there's a lot of films that I would just generally recommend to people because I think they're great films. I think this is one if I know you like action, you like monster movies, you're interested in the kaiju lore, I would definitely recommend this to you. I think there'd be definitely a lot of people who just wouldn't get much out of this and that's fine. It's not, it's for people who love to see two monsters fighting and I think it does a decent job of that. So it's a yeah. Okay. So I would also say yeah to 
Triple R's April Amnesty. Yes, indeed. So just another reminder, as Rob uh, detailed earlier in the show, it is April Amnesty. Triple R Forever is the theme, and we definitely hold the station close to our hearts forever. So if you subscribe this month, you will go into the running for the prizes that Rob detailed earlier and more if you check them out on the website and see what's available. Plus, you will get the usual perks and benefits that a subscription comes with, as well as the knowledge that you're supporting the station because the station does rely on donations from the community and subscribers, keeps us independent and community focused, and it keeps us broadcasting what and how we want, which I think is a really important service to the community and something amazing that we get to do. And of course, still recovering from the fallout from 2020. So every bit counts. So if it is within your means, please uh, subscribe or renew your subscription and every kind of donation helps too. So if you can't afford to subscribe, donations of any amount are also welcome. We really appreciate those as well. So you can do either of those things or find out more at rrr.org.au slash subscribe or rrr.org.au slash donate. And thank you very much to everyone who has already subscribed or who is a current subscriber or has donated. Definitely helps get us through. And the station has been a really good comfort for me, not just working on Zero G, but just the community. And so very grateful for all of the listeners, subscribers and donators. And if you know people who also love the station, you can also spread the word and remind them that it is April Amnesty. So if they've been thinking about subscribing, it's a good time to do it. And I've heard recently that the Kong himself subscribes and Mm -hmm. has donated a giant banana (laughs) and Godzilla too. Gojira himself or herself, depending on what you read, has also donated some radioactive fish. (laughs) Good on them. Be like Kong. Be like Godzilla and head along to rrr.org.au. Stand by us. Stand by Megan. Stand by me. Now, I'm going to play that track. This is a version by Florence and the Machine, and it actually comes from a a video game album, uh, Songs from Final Fantasy (laughs) XV. So that was the version I chose to go to, and it also riffs off what we're going to talk about after this. This is Ashley C. Williams. I play Lindsay in The Human Centipede and the title character in Julia. You're listening to Zero G on 3RRR. Stand By Me, Florence and the Machine, from an album which is very anime-related Final Fantasy number XV15, I think. Nice (laughs) choice, Rob. It is a very anime version, that, actually. Do you know, I have to confess something here. I've never seen the film. Of Final Fantasy? No. The film of which Stand oh, By, by me. me. I was like, I'm oh, sorry. daft. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've never seen Stand By Me. I figure you would have because it's got that whole teen adventure thing going. Yes, very much in my wheelhouse. Also being a King adaptation, also strong overlap with the vibes of things like It and Stranger Things and so on without the supernatural element. But uh, do you have any interest in watching or? Well, of course it's got Will Wheaton in it. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and several other actors who've become quite notable in genre since. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, maybe I will. I'll have a busman's holiday someday. Yeah, do it. Or a shuttlecraft driver's sojourn. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we played that 
because we've seen a movie called Love and Monsters, which is a 2020 American monster adventure film, and it is on Netflix at the moment. It's a feature for Netflix too. Mm. So, And I knew nothing about this before I saw it. Same. It's directed by Michael Matthews, a South African writer, producer, and director. And he had uh, a feature film called Five Fingers for Marseille, which was a South African Western, mm-hmm. and also did a short proof of concept movie called Apocalypse Now Now, <laughs> which is only seven minutes. You can find it online. And it's basically about a young man who works with an amped-up supernatural bounty hunter to take down suburban junk pile monsters. And it was actually brilliant in its own right, and it reminds me of the sort of transitions that you often see with somebody who's just done a short movie and then, bang, they're suddenly doing a feature. Gareth Edwards, Monsters. Yes. You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And. You've got Sean Levy and Dan Cohen there serving as producers, Sean Adam Levy doing Stranger Things, Big Fat Liar, Cheaper by the Dozen, The Night at the Museum movies, and he also produced Arrival. (gasps) Great science fiction film. Yeah, one of our favourite ones. The script was originally by Brian Duffield, and we've seen his work before on the Divergent trilogy movie Insurgent, mm-hmm. and he also worked on The Babysitter, Underwater, and Jane Got a Gun. He has actually done quite a few good little movies. I'm not being disparaging. I'm just saying that they were perfectly pitched at the size that they were, yeah. and so is this one too. We've only a budget of, I think, about $30 million. <gasps> US, barely, like literally barely anything. <laughs> because of, uh, you know, how it worked out in terms of the Academy Awards and COVID and all that sort of stuff, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects along with Midnight Sky, uh, which is also on Netflix, I think, uh, Mulan and Tenet, amongst oh, other movies. So good, good on it. And I think there was a little Aussie house who worked on the effects for this too, which is pretty exciting and cool for them. The film itself was shot on the Gold Coast, mm-hmm. which is immediately obvious as you're watching it. <laughs> the beach scenes, I'm like, oh, that's a good beach. That's got to be Australia. <laughs> well, it was actually earlier than that when I literally twigged because of the colour of the trees, the types of trees mm-hmm. and the landforms as well, I'm thinking, and the light. I'm thinking this is Australia. There's Very no... clued in, Rob. Very clued yeah. in. Okay, so they changed the film title, which was originally Monster Problems, to Love and Monsters, which I think mm-hmm. is a way better title. Yeah. And also a Doctor Who episode from the David Tennant years too. And it's also about monsters, but then that's no big stretch for Doctor Who. <laughs> All right, so that gives you the behind-the-scenes sort of stuff for Love and Monsters. Mm-hmm. And Megan, could you let us know about the plot? Yes, happily. So we're basically following, we've got our key protagonist, Joel. Now, Joel was just living his great high school life with his high school sweetheart, nothing much to worry about, making out in the car, you know, sharing, I'll love you forever, blah, 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 blah. But unfortunately, there was a comet headed for Earth and At this time, humanity did manage to stave off that comet attack by shooting a bunch of – this is all introduced within the first five minutes and is a key part of the story, so I'm not spoiling anything here. They shoot a bunch of rockets at it. They get rid of the comet. Yay! 
but there's some side effects. And <laughs> these side effects, of course, include mutating normal, quote unquote, critters and creatures on earth into gigantic, slimy, fanged creatures or larger versions of themselves with extra spindly bits coming out and extra slimy bits to spit goo and all kinds of things. So obviously with these creatures or monsters, if you will, running rampant across the landscape, humanity has had to find safety underground in different bunkers and colonies and so on. And so we begin Joel's story with him telling us a bit about life with his colony in his bunker and how he still pines for his high school sweetheart, Amy, who sadly is in another colony in another bunker and therefore begins our story, which will unfold into a pretty ripping action adventure quest for our young hero and his hero's journey going from minestrone making <laughs> feeble fighter <laughs> to growing, let's just say, growing in his skills and learning some lessons of life, even though they're coming a bit late because he's been underground for like seven years, I think they say. So he uh, has grown in some ways and emotionally not so much in others. But so we've got lessons afoot. We've got monster fights. We've got people and things we meet along the way. And yeah, it's a very quirky, but not too quirky story with just the right amount of stakes. I think it's pretty solidly family-friendly adventure. We're not getting too dark. We're not getting too depressing. It's not like annihilation up in here, (laughs) but it's still very engaging and pretty exciting. So very teen drama, a little John Hughesy and a little bit zombie land and that kind of vibe, I think. Would that say that sums it up, Rob? Yeah, I think so. Like unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt meets Mm. (laughs) the quiet place via zombie land. Absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Nothing unusual in any of the components we've seen before. But as with another movie we reviewed earlier this year, uh, Palm Springs, Mm. it's just a perfect movie to watch. I was delighted by this as I did with watching back in the day Tremors. Yeah, yeah. And there are definite quotations of tropes in that from Tremors in this, by the way. Yeah, so I just had a, a great time watching this film. Highly recommended. It's on Netflix right at this moment. So we drilled down into some of the characters because it is a very character-driven film, this one. Yeah. But first I think we'll have a track called Waking the Apocalypse, which is from the movie soundtrack by Marco Beltrami, whose name we've heard before, and Marcus Trump with two P's. Oh, phew. <laughs> <laughs> This is George Romero, and I wouldn't be caught dead listening to Zero G on 3 R FM. Yeah, that was Waking the Apocalypse by Marco Beltrami and Marcus Trump with two Bs <laughs> from Love and Monsters, the soundtrack to the movie we're talking about that's dropped on Netflix. We're just looking at the characters of this poke post. I was going to say poke as if it was Pokemon, but that's probably not too big a stretch. No, post, not at all. Post-apocalyptic monster movie. More Keiju in this case. Uh, yeah. Now, The character of Joel, who's one of the main people in the story, the protagonist, if you will, played by Dylan Rhodes O'Brien, US-American actor, seen him before in Teen Wolf, the series, and also he was in Maze Runner. 
Yeah, I never got into that series, to be honest. I know it was based on books and it was sort of in the Divergent-esque realm of things, but, um, yeah, never quite grabbed me. Had a quite serious accident filming that, apparently. Yes. And has moved on to be the title character in the Transformers film Bumblebee. (laughs) (laughs) And he was also in Deepwater Horizon in 2016. He's note perfect in this film. I was so pleasantly surprised because I recognize his face. He's been, you know, adjacent to many things I've seen and, and whatnot, but I wasn't that familiar with him. And I actually think he does a really amazing job in this role. He's got the right amount of everything, comedy, emotion, uh, and the action as well. I think he pitches it at just the right level. And I think this is going to be really, not to sound like a mum, but it's going to be really great on his resume now, I think, him holding this whole movie I mean, I think Maze Runner kind of, but I think this is a really nice example of what he can do, and I hope we see him in a lot more stuff. Yeah. It's actually a thankless role, but he's actually so finely judged in the performance. I thought, yeah, this is exactly the note that you should hit for this one. Yeah, he could have been an absolute wet rag. Like this character could have been so lame and crap, but he isn't. He's quite, you know, very, you can really relate to him, I think. Hmm. He takes it seriously, but not heavily seriously. Uh, Jessica Yuli Henwick plays his former girlfriend, Amy, and we have seen her before in Game of Thrones, in Star Wars The Force Awakens, where she plays an X-Wing pilot. And, of course, she is Colleen Wing in the Iron Fist series and the Defenders and Luke Cage as well. And she's upcoming in um, The Matrix 4. Oh, excellent. I really liked her. I saw her and I was like, where do I recognize you from? Oh, those ill-fated episodes of Iron Fist that I tried to forget. But she was great. She was great in it. And I think she's really good in this too. Actually, the actress said that she had to back off of her highly trained martial arts skills now that she learned and all of that to play just an ordinary person in this Mm, one. mm. Michael Rooker there for post-apocalyptic Walking Dead people. He plays a a character called Clyde who's a survival expert and he's carrying around a weapon that looks like he just bought it off the the Walking Dead too. He also played uh, a character in Sliver back in 2006 and, of course, he was Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy a face that turns up and you go, yeah, I'll buy you in this. Yeah, he's going to be in the Suicide Squad as well, I think, because James Gunn has just plucked the actors that he likes and popped them into the Suicide Squad. So we'll be seeing him in that too. One of my favourite characters in this is a a little girl called Minnow, Mm. played by Ariana Greenblatt, and we know her from playing young Gamora in Avengers Infinity War. Mm -hmm. She was instructed in balance by Thanos himself. And she is such a presence in this film. Uh, It actually looks like she's in charge of Michael Rooker's character. (laughs) Yeah, and this like the preco- like the kind of young kid who's a bit hard and it could have been precocious and annoying but she she's wonderful she's still vulnerable she's very engaging and cute and funny but also tough and you're like yes kid there are two other characters who I don't actually want to name or oh, I'll just give you a rough there's one very very venerable Australian actor who's been in all sorts of apocalyptic dramas and who who just seems to be ubiquitous. He's just there. I love it when he appears. I don't actually know if he gets any speaking lines. And also a a fairly typical Australian trope character, and I'm not going to say any more about it, but Mm. a lovely piece of (laughs) 
<laughs> acting from this other character. I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to dance around this too much, but you know, just delightful characters that appear in this film during the, uh, the trip across the cursed earth in love and monsters, which is on Netflix. now. Yeah. I just love this movie to pieces, highly recommended love and monsters. Yeah, absolutely. When you mentioned it, I didn't really know anything about it. Looked at the, you know, thing on Netflix. I was like, okay, let's give this a go. And when it was over, I just wanted to talk to someone so I could recommend it to them because I think it's just a great film, especially that it's available on Netflix. So easy to stream. And it does remind me of those kind of nineties, two thousands y kind of action adventure films that were kind of mid-level films, really solid, entertaining and engaging, not your huge blockbuster, not your little indie, but, you know, I think they make fewer and fewer of those these days. And so this I think is just the perfect thing to just sit down, you feel like watching a movie, pop this on, and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And it's about found families and taking risks and survival and monsters and a little bit of emotional stuff, but it doesn't dwell, which I was grateful for. We're not, you know, steeped in a whole bunch of capital I issues for the whole thing. It's a nice little package. I think it's a really nice little film. And some surprisingly moving ah moments. Yeah. And also excellent CGI. I had thought because I went, okay, it's on Netflix. I don't think this is, you know, I think this is probably a straight to Netflix situation. I wonder what the effects will be like and if we'll even see anything. And then we did. And I was like, wow, that's um, really well done. And really well, the design too of those monsters I think was excellent. Mm. It's also down to the pandemic that we're seeing this on, you know, direct streaming at the moment. Obviously, there were plans for a theatrical release, and I think they will actually have some of those because I think it would deserve to be seen on a big screen too. I do agree with that. I do think it will probably do well being accessible though, I think, especially Mm. in this day and age. But, yeah, definitely would. I'd watch this on a big screen. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I definitely give it a an Aussie Aussie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Definite thumbs up from me. A definite slimy thumbs up from me. And there are rules too. <laughs> but it's but that's the thing. I don't think it's trying there's there's little elements of familiarity yeah. but but it's never really a cut and paste. I think this is its own film and, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. To riff off that and to go for a Bowie-esque little trip, we will have yet another cover. (laughs) This is Spiders from Mars by a group called the Unpredictable Headband from their album Out of Thin Air. And this is one of the things we, we do play as many covers of Bowie tracks and riffs off them and uh, inspired by sort of things because that's part of the legacy of Bowie's music. Yeah. And plus, because it's zero G and, you know, we're crazy. So We do what we want. <laughs> cry, cry. All right. So if you would like us to continue doing what we want and what hopefully you want and some things that you don't, <laughs> remember, it is April Amnesty and subscribe to Triple R FM. All right. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. And thank you to our podcaster, Kayla. Joe Brunatic coming up next with Astral Glamour, Spiders, from Mars, or in this case, from the asteroid called uh, Agnes. 
G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast at Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.